Okay, we're going to ask everybody to take your seat. We'll get started, try to keep the trains running at least moderately on time. I don't want somebody appearing in the back giving me a dirty look from the Texas Tribune. Who can live with that, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for coming. I'm Jim Henson. I direct the Texas Politics Project uh, and teach in the Department of Government here at the University of Texas. I also co-direct the UT Texas Tribune poll, which is why I wind up pulling this duty, I think. <laughs> uh, on behalf of the Texas Tribune, and even though it's not in the script, I'll, on behalf of the University of Texas, uh, I'm happy to welcome you to the seventh annual Texas Tribune Festival and to the panel, The Grassroots Agenda. And I think it's important to note the caption, which is, what the most conservative elected official and activists in Texas want from the next election cycle and the 86th legislative session. And I don't want to give anybody hives by talking about the next session already. <laughs> um, we have a very distinguished panel here to my immediate left. Chip Roy is director uh, of the Center for Tenth Amendment Action at the Texas, Policy, uh, Texas Public Policy Foundation, uh, is the lonely non-elected official on this panel, <laughs> though he has uh, held a wide range of government positions, including serving as the first assistant general, uh, attorney general of Texas, uh, serving as Chief of Staff to U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, and as a Senior Advisor to Texas Governor Rick Perry. Uh, next to Chip is, rep is Representative Matt Krause from Irving, was elected in 2012 and thereafter to serve the people of District 93. Next to him is Representative Kyle Biederman from Fredericksburg, first elected to serve District 73 in 2016. Uh, and then next to him, Representative Jeff Leach from Plano, elected in 2012 to serve District uh, 67. No, sorry, I got your district wrong. Because we're out of order. 67. <laughs> there we go. 60, yeah, 67 yeah, is right. right. Here I am, self-correcting already. All right. Um, regrettably, I have to report that, Pe that Peggy Venable has decided it would be prudent to bow out of participating in today's panel after recently being hired by Governor Abbott to serve as his appointments director. And I called and tried to tell her we'd be super nice and not yeah. get her in any, you know, Scaramucci situations. <laughs> but she, uh, you know, she's not started serving yet. I think she found it prudent and I think we all understand that. So it falls to Chip Roy to do double time on providing the perspective of a non-elected official and it'll fall on all of us to try to provide some kind of gender diversity. So. <laughs> I wasn't sure gender diversity would get a laugh in this crowd, <laughs> you know, but I, I went for it anyway. Um, so let's get started by getting directly to the point of the panel. And why don't we start at the far end? Um, I didn't say the far left. Um, you know, in your district, what do you, what do you think are the top one or two most important agenda items for the grassroots in your district? Well, that's a great question, and, and it's really great to be here this morning. Welcome to all of you. Look forward to a good discussion with my colleagues this morning. And um, I know that originally Representative Rinaldi was supposed to join us as well, and um, I do want to congratulate Representative Rinaldi and his wife Corley on the birth of their son this week. And so he has a, a, a pretty good excuse not to be here either. Uh, um, and so, look, it's, it's great to be here. When I, when I think about the grassroots priorities for my district, um, I, I think back to uh, the, the times where I've went and knocked on the doors of my voters and not told them necessarily what we've done, but ask them, what's important to you? Uh, what, what's important for, for you to understand that your legislators in Austin are working on, on your behalf? And, and what I hear is, is largely the same as they want 
a government to, um, to play a smaller role, to do what it does well, to build roads and ensure our schools are strong, to ensure that water infrastructure is there, but also to, to limit government, to keep taxes low, uh, to protect our individual liberties, our fundamental rights, uh, to not just use the Constitution as a guidebook or a suggestion book, but as the rule book. And that's what I hear from my voters when I knock on doors, when I hold town hall meetings. Of course, there's disagreement, uh, there's debate, there's different ideas. And the conservative position, the grassroots position, is to listen to all of those things. But at the end of the day, to come here to Austin and to advocate for, um, uh, for the values that we believe strongly in. How about you, just very different? Actually, that's a, that's a bunch of items, more than a, more than a couple, but that's exactly what we're hearing. Um, but I want to also say uh, uh, I had my sixth grandchild uh, yesterday, uh, Thursday, but that was grandchild. It wasn't the first child yeah. as uh, Matt Rinaldi, so uh, I'm just grateful to be able to be here. But in Fredericksburg, uh, that's where I live. That's my district, a little rural, and it goes all the way to New Braunfels, but I'm, I hear the same things. But the, what I was surprised is when we went back after special session, talking to groups, and I mean, that's what I pretty much do full-time. I've been, I've been very blessed in my business. I'm an Ace Hardware dealer, and, and uh, God just blessed my business so I could be doing this full-time, and I've gone to so many meetings in the last month, and they don't really want to hear about all the things that maybe didn't pass. They want to know, are you going to listen to us, and are you going to do what you say you do here when you go to Austin? And all the issues that... that uh, uh, my colleague talked about, of course, property tax. Water is really big for us. And, um, of course, school finance. So we all talk about, are you, are you for public school? Well, just throwing money at public school doesn't mean you're for public school. If you're for public school, that means we got to fix this system that's broken where our teachers are not getting the respect they need to be given as professionals. And until we fix that, uh, that's what being for public school is. So we hear that too. So you, th you think public education is probably, or the quality of public education is the number one thing that you hear about? Uh, actually not, only from a certain group. The yeah. number one thing we hear about, that I hear about is, do what you said you were gonna do. And when you go to Austin, we want to, um, you know, the grassroots wants to be informed. They wanna be empowered knowing that their representative is representing them. I tell them in my meetings, it's not about me. It's not about you know, the issues that I might think about, it's about you. What do you want as my constituents? And, uh, and then to be listened to. And that's, you know, this whole thing is about grassroots. Mm -hmm. So how much work, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm just gonna assume that you hear similar things in your district. How do you translate that into more specific issues when you're in the process and the principles are then have to be translated into decisions about policy priorities. Yeah, no, and that's a great question. And uh, three of us are part of uh, the Freedom Caucus uh, that, that's in the House that formed this last session. And really, the entire purpose and goal of the Freedom Caucus was to amplify the voice of the grassroots. So everything we're talking about today, hopefully that's our main driver, our main goals. We're looking for policies, how to take what we've heard back home and implement those into policies. Uh, the issue I hear most at home by far is property tax. I don't care if you're conservative, I don't care if you're liberal, I don't care if you're Republican, I don't care if you're Democrat, I don't care if you're independent, I don't care if you're registered to vote. Whoever it is, they are concerned about property taxes. And so it was one of the biggest disappointments for us 
uh, as a body and for our constituents back home that we did nothing on that uh, during the, the session or the special session. And so, but we took a lot of that uh, frustration and anger during, uh, during the session and, and translated those into policy. Matt Shaheen, who's another one of the Freedom Caucus members, offered an amendment in the special session to make sure that the rollback rate was 4%, not 8% where it was, or 6% where it could be. And that was a specific uh, response to what we'd heard from the grassroots. We talked to them, okay, where do you think this should be? Where should it be? And they kept coming back. We think where the Senate had it was great. We think that it has to be somewhere where it's an automatic onus on the government, not on the, on the taxpayer. And so that's just one example of where we took the voice of the grassroots. We took that 4%, said this is something we need to argue for and fight for, and put that into policy and try to get that passed. You guys... Uh are very active and seen as people that shape the agenda and feed, I think, a lot of ideas and in some ways advocate for policies that relate to the grassroots. How do you, how do you see, when you look at the terrain, what the grassroots want in relation to where you guys are? And what is your relationship to that? Well, sure. Uh, <clears throat> we do spend a lot of time at a think tank trying to figure out what policies work. Uh, but part of that gets to how do you convert that to action? And from the Texas Public Policy Foundation perspective, and I, and I kind of marry that with my experience, I've actually had the luxury or the curse, depending on one's perspective, of working, working for four statewides. And um, you know, through that, I get sort of a perspective of looking across the state. And um, you know, look at, you know, echoing a little bit about what Matt just said, property taxes, by far and away, the number one issue that we see when we look, go across the state. And as a 501c3 think tank, right, we're not generally going around maybe politically trying to relate to the grassroots, trying to figure out obviously how to get elected or something like that. We're just trying to figure out what resonates, trying to figure out where the, uh, you know, where the waves are moving in the state. And you know, we go around and do legislative updates. We just did one in Tyler. We just did one in uh, Fort Worth. And we go around and meet with groups around the state to try to get a feel for what people are actually thinking and feeling. And, and you know this, right? In, in February or March, you guys did a poll uh, demonstrating that property taxes was far and away the number one issue, right? I mean, I think I was looking at it as 77% strongly or somewhat support lowering or restricting the growth of property taxes. And it was the number one issue out of a list of 20. And I think that that is something that people are feeling right at home. And, and as, as Matt said, it was the biggest disappointment of this session and would be the number one priority, I think, in my mind and in a lot of people's mind for the 2019 session. I want to follow up on that other than, and thank you for the use of the polling. Um, that's one way of kind of figuring out, at least trying to get a feel for what people want. Um, I was interested in, you know, all of you sort of talked about your constituents, what the grassroots want. What channels do you use to try to keep your, your finger on the pulse? I mean, what's, what's the best way, when you have to go out and say, as you were saying, we try to represent what the grassroots want, how do you know? Yeah. Well, I think it becomes clearly evident based on the, the feedback of the grassroots. Um, you know, when we start talking about issues or, or look at polls, or I mean, it's, it's pretty, I don't want to say easy, but um, fairly evident uh, what the big concerns are, property taxes, um, um, health care, um, education. Uh, last summer, two summers ago, uh, one of the issues that the grassroots wasn't focused on is criminal justice reform. Not that they weren't focused on or thought was important, but it just wasn't an emphasis of the grassroots. And, um, as I, after I had served two terms on the Criminal Jurisprudence Committee, I, I took an interest in ensuring, um, specifically with respect to our death row inmates, 
um, that we are um, doing everything we can as elected officials to ensure that the people who are there on our death row um, actually need and deserve to be there. And there's one gentleman um, that I took a took interest in, Jeff Wood, the Jeff Wood case, which the Texas Trib has done a remarkable job reporting on. Um, and and it, after my research and due diligence, work with other legislators from both parties, um, we partnered with the grassroots um, and political parties, political persuasions from all across the state to ensure that, that Jeff was, that his execution was state and we were successful. And it wasn't just the conservative Republicans doing that. We brought light onto the issue, but because of that, um, the grassroots awoke and political, uh, both political parties, people from all across the state, from all political uh, persuasions took part in that with us. So um, that's just one victory that that may not have been an issue that was important or an emphasis of the grassroots, but once they learned more about it, we were able to team together and affect real positive change in that specific case. If, yeah. if I might tag along on that one, I think I might be fired for a complete incompetence if I don't raise uh, and, and echo the point about civil uh, about uh, criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's been front and center, and, and if not a priority, maybe the number one priority for the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And you know, a lot of people kind of look cockeyed when they say, well, this is a conservative organization. I mean, why do you guys seem to care about that? Aren't you guys just always wanting to you know, you know, throw people in jail. And, and the reality is, is that this comes from a, a freedom, respect of the rule of law, right. and just frankly, just the compassion of what we should be feeling in the community in Texas of how you make sure you get it right, whether it's uh, asset forfeiture, whether it's, you know, how you're looking at people who are incarcerated wrongly, um, making sure that we look at, at first-time nonviolent offenders and figure out whether or not we want our, our uh, jails filled, as opposed to doing what Texas has done, which is reduce uh, the number of people in jail, but yet continue to reduce crime rates in Texas. And I think that's something that where we can find bipartisan agreement uh, and something that doesn't raise those partisan issues. But as it relates to the grassroots, I think that's important for this conversation. It's critical that that connection to the people, you say, how do you figure out your information? By talking to Texans, by going out to coffee shops, whether you're at a think tank or whether you're a representative, and going around and talking to real people. There's a, there's a difference between the grass tops and the grassroots, right? Grassroots, in my mind, are real people. And that's not to say that the grass tops don't serve an important role. A lot of them are our friends and we work with folks that are running organizations. But you gotta go out and meet with real citizens in districts or across the state and hear from them. Look at polling. Do I was just doing focus groups on a national issue in Denver last night trying to understand energy policy and climate change. We did focus groups Wednesday night in Atlanta and th last night in Denver. You know, you've got to get out and figure out where the people are to figure out how to relate to them. And if I can follow up on that, I would say, you know, if I go to a Tea Party group, I pretty much know what their issues are going to be. If I go to a chamber group, I know what they're going to talk about. When I sit down with my superintendents and school boards, I kind of know what they're going to say. One of the greatest ways for me to find out what the grassroots are really thinking is in those non-political settings, whether I'm at church and somebody just talks to me about what they're going through or at my kids' soccer games or at the supermarket if I run into somebody. And I'll, I'll, that's when you see what the issues are that are affecting them. A lot of times it'll be their property taxes or where they're not going to be able to stay in their house. A lot of times it's uh, testing for their kids. They're upset because their kids have gone through so much uh, standardized testing. We need to do something to fix that. Uh, so I think that's where you get the range of what the grassroots are really feeling when you're not just in, um, okay, I know what these groups are going to say, but as you said, the grassroots, just everyday people, what's affecting them and, and how can we help them? You know, and, and being a representative, Again, that being my first term, how do you contact the 150 or 170,000 constituents in your district? And that's a very difficult task. Uh, a lot of them aren't interested, to tell you the truth, and that's unfortunate. But the ones that are interested, how do you find them and be able to get information and let them know that you're listening to them and that they do have a voice? Uh, I started advisory councils 
uh, way back, even before the session started. And the advisory council have helped me tremendously. Um, I just every meeting I go to, no matter what I do, all my newsletters and so forth, we ask people to be part of our advisory council. I've got 17, and you know it's not easy to connect with the grassroots. Uh, you've got to find them first. But once the grassroots realize that you're listening, all of a sudden <clears throat> they start coming out of the woodwork. And so they then start coming to us, and they get empowered, they get energized, because they know they're being listened to. So you're listening to the grassroots. What are they telling you about the last session? What they're telling What's them, the response? What I'm hearing, and again, is that they are just excited because, again, the Freedom Caucus, we're part of the Freedom Caucus, and we spent a lot of time with the grassroots. And so they were just energized and felt empowered, and they're just excited about the, uh, the fact that, um, that they had a voice in the legislature, and they were being heard and listened to. Again, government is all about the people, and that gets forgotten in Austin. Austin's in this kind of bubble, and then you've got the rest of the Texas. Well, the rest of Texas has got a huge voice, and um, they need to be listened to. Representative Leach, I'm wondering what your constituents, if you, what kind of feedback you're getting on what you all did, what you didn't do, what's the, what's the response like, if anything? Well, you're, you're going to get a different response if you're talking to a state representative or a state senator. The two chambers um, operated very differently in representing the voice of the grassroots this session. I'm, I'm hearing, uh, since I've been home from the special session, a severe disappointment among grassroots conservatives across this state, and, and here's why. Yes, the issues are important. And we can talk about property tax reform, we can talk about the Texas Privacy Act, we can talk about school choice and a number of other bills that, that uh, we, we can have serious deliberations on those policies. But at the end of the day, the job of a state representative and a state senator, all 150 of us in our chamber and the 31 in the others, the, our main job is to ensure that we're doing everything we can to, to amplify the voice of the people that we represent on the floor of the Texas House. The Texas House chamber is your house not our house. And whether you're Jeff Leach or Pancho Navarez or Carol Alvarado or Briscoe Kane or Jonathan Stickland or Joe Strauss, your job is to amplify the voice of the people that sent you to Austin to fight and to advocate on their behalf. And this session, more than any three of the three sessions that I've served in, I'm not, I don't think I'm sharing anything that's a surprise, um, the grassroots felt largely that their voices were silenced. And uh, that has been a severe disappointment, and that's why you're seeing some of the unrest that you are. And, and, and if I saw the same thing, that Democrat voices were being silenced, I would say the exact same thing to protect the voice of my, my counterparts on the other side of the aisle as well. Do you, think, do you think that's seeping through to people that are not in Austin or not on top of it? I mean, are you hearing the same thing? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, social media can be used for good, it can be used for ill, but I think uh, through the use of social media, and, and I think there was a lot more light and transparency shown on the house this time for, for whatever purpose. People were, I, I get texts from people at home watching during, uh, while they're sitting at the office, they have the live stream on, they're like, hey, why did that uh, point of order get overruled? Or why wasn't that person recognized for this motion? I was like, why are you even, why, you know, why do you even care? You know, so I, I think it was, there was just a huge, uh, spotlight shown on this session and and there were things as, as representative leach said I, I think there were times where you really felt like there was a concerted effort to uh, silence some of the voices in that chamber and so uh, I think a lot of people did see that and I think it's getting more and more known and I think uh, that thought is it picked up more momentum throughout the regular session then in the special session I think uh, there was a bright light shown on it for that 30 days well it's interesting that you guys are kind of emphasizing 
process and you know and, and I agree that the integrity of the process is always an issue I'm wondering though about kind of policy output I mean you mentioned property yeah. taxes you know let's start with you chip and then we'll go back I mean kind of yeah. you know how do you expect people to receive the actual policy stuff that was done and not done and, and just to not beat around the bush one of the things that's yeah. interesting to me is that you know you were talking about how important property taxes were when you gave people a set of the of things that were on the agenda. Mm -hmm. But our polling, one of the things that we most consistently find is that among the most conservative Texans, what really drives their perception of problems is immigration. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me, and I want to talk about the primaries in a minute, that that really just takes up a lot of cognitive real estate. And I and you guys did among the conservative things you did accomplish was pretty conservative legislation on immigration, and I'm wondering if that feeds at least a certain degree of satisfaction or at least, you know, makes people look at what you guys did and think that at least some of the stuff that came out was really what they wanted. Yeah, I think, let me set immigration aside for just one minute, uh, we can come back to that. It, on the broader uh, point with respect to what the grassroots are feeling, I, what we're hearing and seeing, and I, I don't know if this is consistent, is somewhat satisfaction, but sort of nibbling around the edges, and then significant dissatisfaction on the things that I think is most fundamental to them. So in other words, what do I mean by that? So annexation reform. That's, I mean, conceptually, I think there was a lot of grassroots enthusiasm on annexation reform, making sure you can't get gobbled up by cities over 500,000 people, et cetera. I think a pretty decent understanding of why what we did with fixing foster reform was a good thing. Telemedicine for rural uh, communities. There are other things that were really good and the overall conservative budget, con constraining the growth of government to close to population plus inflation for the first time in a while, both with the supplemental for 1617 and the look ahead for SB1. All of that stuff. But that's all kind of in, a little bit inside Austin yeah. stuff, right? And, I, and that line matters. For the people and what's happening to them every day, property tax relief, education, the education of their children, there's significant dissatisfaction with the yeah. results from what's happening in Austin. And you know, how you layer on sort of big ticket items, the emotional items like immigration on top of that, that, that clearly does consume a lot of what the grassroots think. But let's, what's that about for the grassroots? Whatever one's perspective is on that issue, it's, it comes back to, I think, a, a te attention of the rule of law and how that is enforced in communities one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what people are looking at as sort of is sanctuary cities and that issue, is that just sort of doing the job of law enforcement, doing what they're supposed to do? And I think there, there's, a, there's a feeling in the grassroots community of saying, guys, that's your job, is to enforce the law. We can have a debate about the policy, but your job is to enforce the law in coordination with federal authorities. That's what I think was driving that. Yeah, and, and if you had asked me a year ago, what am I hearing most from my constituents? I would have said property tax and immigration, for mm -hmm. sure. Once SB4 passed, uh, I didn't hear that as much when I went home from special, I mean from the regular session or getting ready for the special, because I think a lot of people thought, okay, they're actually working on what they can work on. Uh, I think a lot of people see the wall as, as an immigration thing, but that's at the federal level, but I think they saw, okay, Texas took steps uh, 
took a very hardline stance on sanctuary cities. That's one thing we wanted them to do. That's one thing Governor Abbott put on the emergency calendar. So I felt like there wasn't as much of a concern we weren't acting on that as in past sessions. So I think that's why I, I didn't hear that as much. It was more the property taxes. And I would agree with Chip. I think there are some things we can go home to on for the pro-life uh, conservatives. There were a lot of victories in the regular session and the special session. Uh, the budget, I think, was good. Uh, I, I think uh, we were able to come to a good agreement on that. There were just so many missed opportunities. You know, unfortunately, I think that's what we that's what we dwell on more than some of the victories. And I think we should because they were such big missed opportunities. You don't know where you can get another chance. But yes, there were some great things that we did, and people were pretty satisfied with a lot of those things. But they also see the missed opportunities. I, I agree completely. Uh, immigration and border security was the issue in the last election for for at least for me. And uh, that now that uh, we did pass sanctuary cities, now that we're seeing uh, the reduction in, in the uh, border crossings. In fact, we had a, um, uh, the deputy director from DPS come to our meeting yesterday and gave us an update on what's happening in Texas. And you know, a lot of those issues are reducing, are being reduced tremendously. So that's not as big an issue. And again, with uh, President Trump um, and the federal government starting to enforce the law more, we're seeing positive results and so we're not having as much, I'm not hearing as much about, hey, we've got to push for border security. It's more, hey, whatever we're doing is working right now. We've passed some things. Let's just see how it plays out. But the, the other thing with the grassroots, there's two ways to look at it. Are you happy with what happened in session? Are you happy now that you're being heard more? And uh, so we have to separate those two things. Uh, session's over. So when I give my talks, session's over. We won't come back for two years or a year and a half at least. So we need to look forward. And so when we start looking forward and we start looking more in a positive, optimistic way, hey, now we can, we've got some really good things done last session and we missed a lot of great opportunities. But as we see what's happening with uh, you know, speaker race and other things, those are the things people are asking about because that's current, that's happening right now and that will affect the next session. So that's what I'm hearing a lot more. And there's a lot of positive energy with what's going to be happening uh, in the interim. Well, I mean, that's an interesting perspective, and you do move us helpfully towards the election season and how this plays out in that. So, it, I mean, it's interesting to hear you say that getting something done on immigration perhaps clears the agenda. My anticipation will be in a lot of districts, particularly districts that are maybe, you know, sort of a little more towards the center than your guys' districts, a lot of people are going to run on immigration, right? They, they will run on SB4 as a mode of defense and keep that on the agenda, I think. Yeah, but, yeah I think you're right. And they you know, should. I mean, it was a good bill that, uh, that I think will help Texas cities stay stronger and safer and uh, yes. applies the rule of law. So um, I think they should run on that. Mm -hmm. So what, what will you run on? In this in this coming Nothing. in this coming season, no, I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh and, man, I thought we were gonna get a nugget there. <laughs> awesome. and, and he said, and he said that with yeah. a tone of relief. Yeah. Uh, I would add. I mean, what, so will you try to go then and move beyond that and push some of these issues you're talking about as you run? Well, I mean, sure, certainly um, we'll talk about our record. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about the things we accomplished. Um, CPS reform, which I, I do believe, as Speaker Strauss said this morning, has been underreported. Um, and, our, and our focus on mental health and the budget um, and through some other legislation. Those are tremendous victories for the people of this state. Uh, CPS reform um, and foster care reform was an emergency item and, and rightfully so. 
Uh, yes, we can and, and should campaign on, on Sanctuary Cities legislation that we passed, on the pro-life victories that we had, on the number of um, on the number of things we did with respect to ensuring that, that our government is lean and mean and efficient and that we're not raising taxes, we're protected the rainy day fund. All of those things we can and will campaign on, but I think the overarching theme will be, at least I'm gonna speak for me, will be I, I did what I said I was gonna do. I kept my promises to you. I can look my constituents in the eye when I go back home um, and even in, when there's disagreement, I can say I did what I said I was gonna do. You know, uh, Senator Al Franken, I, I caught some uh, some snippets of, of what he said last night, and he and I disagree on pretty much everything, okay? Um, uh, but I respect Senator Franken for this. He is who he is, and he's doing what he said he would do. He, he is keeping his promises to the voters of Minnesota, and so is Senator Cruz, keeping his promises to the voters of the, of the state of Texas, and I'm keeping my promises to the voters in House District 67, and that's what I'm going to go back home and talk about. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, it, it, is, it is just... Um, it's a joy to be able to look at your constituents, tell them, this is what you elected me for, this is what I campaigned on, and this is what I voted on, and this is how I conducted myself in Austin. And so that, you know, a clear conscience helps tremendously in your confidence to be reelected. Um, so I'm going to be running on my record, obviously, but I'm also running on, um, you know, when you think of conservatives, a lot of times, as we brought up public education before, a lot of times public education and conservatives don't seem to be, be in the same room. And, uh, but that's not the case. We passed a, an amendment this last session uh, for teachers, and there will be a statewide teacher engagement survey so that we can hear what the teachers have to say on how to fix this education system, not necessarily the finance system, but how the teachers can get better results from their students. What do teachers say? They're on the front lines. And we don't usually give them a say-so, just like grassroots. Teachers are the grassroots for the education system. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, the teachers seem to be the grassroots for moderates or um, Republicans or even Democrats, but that shouldn't be the case. They are the grassroots of public education. We need to hear from them. We need what they think would help the system. And I think we could get some solutions so that, that survey will come out before next session, so we'll have true data from those on the front lines. So these are things that I'm coming back to my constituents, and it's a little shock, but most people have no idea that that passed. Mm -hmm. is, is Speaker Strauss an, an issue? Is he gonna be an issue in the election in your districts? I, I don't know if Speaker Strauss will be an issue. I think the process by which the Republican caucus makes its selection for speaker in the future will be a big issue in, in the coming primaries. And so, and, and as we've said, and as a lot of other people have said, it's really not about a person. It's not about Joe Strauss, not about Phil King, uh, as of yesterday at about 4.53 p.m. Um, it's not yeah. about either It has one been of, about Phil, Phil King for the last uh, well, 24 hours. I think we can stipulate. Um, but, so it's not about a person, it, it's, it's about a process. And I think uh, what we've saw, uh, seen at the caucus meeting at the end of the special session, uh, the con uh, continuation of that conversation yesterday that the members are very much open to uh, adopting a policy by which the Republican caucus does select its preferred candidate for speaker going mm -hmm. forward. So I think you will see a lot of that in this upcoming primary cycle. Um, and not, again, not so much about the person, but about the process. And if you get the process right, no matter which person is selected, um, uh, as we've always said, whether it's Joe Strauss or Jonathan Sticklin, uh, from that process, then the Republican uh, caucus can move forward in a unified voice going forward. Do you forward. know something about what Representative Stickland's <laughs> going to do that we don't? <laughs> Since he wasn't here, I'll make the announcements <laughs> for him. Um, no. 
But if we do take, if we take the speaker race off the table and, it, and, and the process is put in place and we already have the process, we already have a speaker candidate. I mean, so things are already happening. But if that gets taken off the table, we could focus on policy. And it's been difficult to focus on policy uh, in the Republican caucus because of that conflict. So it'll be nice to get that taken care of. And, that was, and in our meetings with the Republican caucus, that's been one of the best or the biggest um, uh, optimistic things that have come out is that we want to focus on policy. In fact, last uh, when uh, Speaker Strauss was just on stage, that's what is difficult. We haven't been working on policy. We haven't been unified as Republicans because we've had this other conflict. So uh, we're excited about what the future is. You seem like you want to weigh in on this. Well, uh, I'm going to weigh on the political. No, <laughs> no. Uh, it's the beauty of working at a 501c3. I'm not yeah. allowed to get political. No. I, look, one thing I did want to echo was what um, Jeff was talking about with respect to the grassroots. Again, the purpose of this discussion is there is enormous frustration among the grassroots of sending representatives to Austin, to Washington, and they're not doing what they said they would do. Enormous frustration. Now, that doesn't fit every district or every representative, and I won't name names, so that'll get me in trouble. But <laughs> there is blanket across the board frustration. You know, let's take on a federal level, because it does creep into the state, is Obamacare. Like, there's massive frustration right now. There's been literally not one single vote in the United States Senate or House on full repeal. Not one vote. You know, there's been other various votes and partial repeals and so forth. And that, that, we want to talk to the grassroots, their, their frustration with what's going on. And that seeps into the conversations that we have. You know, talk about healthcare federal issues. Yeah. We saw the Convention of States got passed, right, in this last session. Why is that? I mean, was that some sort of like crazy thing? Well, the founders gave us a way to amend the Constitution. Why do people want to amend the Constitution? Because they're tired of spending. They're tired of the same old, same old in Washington. So that federal issue becomes a state issue. So that frustration bleeds into the grassroots. One of the animating forces is a frustration with disappointment in institutional performance, mm -hmm. basically. Right. You know, I also want to ask you guys, since we are talking about the grassroots, um, you know, is there, a, is there a clear conflict between, let's be a little more specific, the organized grassroots of the Republican Party and the business quarters of the Republican Party. I mean, I talk to a lot of business groups and events like this, and I sense a perception that there's an antagonism there. Uh, the speaker was asked about that. The speaker has talked about the role of the business community. Is that, what's going on with that from where you guys are? I, I think that, um perception on that issue is not reality and here's why look there was disagreement strong disagreement on the on the texas privacy act this session and um we, we respect the right we should respect the right of, of different individuals and parties and businesses to disagree and dis disagree respectfully in our effort to create and enact good public policy but uh, texas is the strongest state in the united states for for business we have businesses that are are fleeing here from other states Look, when the, our challenges, the challenges that we're dealing with in the legislature, what consumes our time, rightfully so, is how do we take care of the 27 million Texans who are here now and the 25 million Texans who are on their way here over the next 50 years? Mm -hmm. That's a very real concern for us. Um, the concern of the legislature in California is how do we keep our people from fleeing our state? <laughs> yeah. How do we keep our businesses here? I mean, that, that's a very real concern for them. And so um, we have our challenges here, but I welcome those challenges. I think we've got a great working relationship with the business community. For, for me, um, if you're looking at scorecards, um, I, I was able to be a taxpayer champion on the Empower Texans scorecard and get 100 on my local chamber scorecard as well. Um, and so you can 
vote your values, vote your district, enact good conservative public policy, and still be an advocate for the business community. But it's an issue by issue proposition for us as legislators. But, but, this, but this, this, this um, perception out there that the conservatives don't care about the business community um, is just patently not true. Well, I want to push you a little bit on that just because, I mean, it's, it's out there that there are some of the larger business groups that feel like they're, for better or for worse, that do feel like they're not getting heard the way they used to. Now, you can cut that a couple different ways, but that perception is out there. Um, among those groups, it's not just... Now, my, my guess is one of the groups you're talking about is Texas Association of Business. Um, and I think we saw when the Senate hearing uh, happened on SB6 that uh, there was an exchange between the, the head of TAB and Senator Kelly Hancock. And uh, TAB was arguing something, testifying on something, and Senator Hancock did a great job pushing back and really kind of vetting <laughs> that argument. And it didn't seem like the Texas Association of Business had any answers for what Senator Hancock was saying. And I think that's where some of the frustration came is, hey, we understand there's going to be disagreements, but just at least come to us with accurate facts. Come to us with legitimate reasons that you're going to disagree. And so I think that created a little bit of a, a rift, honestly. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't uh, mm -hmm. partner together with them. I've got BNSF in my, uh, in my district, and uh, they signed the letter uh, opposing the Texas Privacy Act. Well, we disagreed on that, but we also worked together on three or four issues that same session. And so, as, as Jeff said, it's kind of an issue-by-issue thing, I think, on the Texas Privacy Act and others. Yeah, there was, there was a pretty big gulf between the business community or uh, the business, the grass tops, maybe, as Chip was saying. Because um, I know a lot of small business owners and large business owners that were in favor of it, too. So you can't <laughs> lump them all together. Um, so I, I do see where that perception kind of came when you have instances like that. But as a whole, I, I don't think it's accurate. Well, and you, <clears throat> you, have to, you have to also look at who is pushing or funding these uh, reports on, on, from these business uh, leaders, and a, a lot of them coming from the lobbyist groups here, right here in Austin. So who's behind the push? You know, so once you start looking and, re and pulling back the layers, you get a better idea of you know, the policy that they're trying to push. And it may not necessarily be business, you know, business from a Republican or a conservative point of view. I mean, I'm a business owner. I mean, that whole thing about separating business Republicans and social Republicans, I mean, that's an, that's an Austin bubble thing, if you ask me. I oh. never hear that out there unless there's somebody reading the media that's using all these terms. So I just think it's overblown completely. Chip, I want to step back from it being just about the bathroom bill. You know, you guys intersect kind of different, you know, traditional pro-business economic growth think tank activities and ideas and, and bodies of thought with some of these other grassroots items. How do you see that? Is there a tension there? I mean, as the grassroots have gotten, I think, played a more organized role in, in, on the conservative end in Texas government, do you see that that's created any tension with more traditional corners of the business community? I think it depends a little bit on how you look at the business community, right? I think there's always been this perception that the conservative movement or the Republican Party is in the hip pocket of the business community, right? In terms of looking out for some sort of tax benefits for a particular business, et cetera. And I think, at least from the people that I've worked with, grassroots-wise, what we care about in terms of lowering the overall tax burden, generating economic growth, trying to keep the tax burden in Texas competitive, et cetera, I, I don't think that, I think there's an alignment among conservative activists and small business 
uh, community, the uh, kind of regular Joe businesses out there. I do think there is a tension with some of the kind of corporate uh, interests, particularly those kind of moving into Texas, taking you know advantage of the great environment that Texas has created. And there might be a cultural clash, but there might also be a little bit, and this happens at the federal level, uh, a, a cynicism among the grassroots about what you'd call cronyism and what you would talk about, whether you're talking about policies that are too often, whether it's the XM Bank and Boeing or whatever it might be, that raises people's antenna. Obamacare, insurance companies, back when Obamacare was created in 2009, raises people's antennas about who's, you know, who's in whose you know, pocket where. And it's not a Republican thing, or it's, it's the system. It's the government system. And I think that's where the grassroots are frustrated. So it's not about the party or anything like that. It's about grassroots saying, why is it that all these policies are getting created in a way that seems like it's the corporate interests that are driving the policy creation? That's what I hear when I talk to grassroots and their frustration. And it seems to me that the, the mirror image of that may well be that the more established trade and business groups don't have, aren't as comfortable perhaps with the kind of procedural emphasis that you guys are kind of pursuing. Is that possible? Sure. I mean, it I doesn't make you anti-business. I think it may right. be about a frustration or a kind of disorientation about the shift in the way that the institutions operate <clears throat> and the priorities that people are setting. Uh, I can't have you guys up here without saying at least a little bit, how do you think Harvey's going to change the environment going forward? We've talked a lot about, you know, what the agenda was, what got put on it, what got taken off it. Um, do you guys think it really is going to fundamentally shift the agenda? The speaker was just saying in the previous model that, in the previous module, that he really thought everything was going to be different now. Um, does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. it absolutely does. Um, Hurricane Harvey um, has absolutely changed everything about where we are as a state now and where we are in heading into the 2019 legislative session, and, and rightfully so. We have an obligation as a legislature to, um, to meet the needs of Texans all across the state, including most importantly those who've been impacted by the storm. And um, after having spent some time um, there in the Houston area in the immediate aftermath of Harvey, um, the, the destruction is um, almost indescribable. Um, this is a, a storm of catastrophic and epic proportions. Um, at the same time, it's been um, unbelievably remarkable to see the spirit of Texans uh, the compassion, the resolve of the people of our state, including our, our um, local officials there. Uh, Mayor Sylvester Turner, um, I think, has done a tremendous job. I think Governor Abbott has done a remarkable job. And President Donald Trump and his administration have done a remarkable job coming to the aid of people in Texas. Um, that's, that's been heartening to see. In terms of the Texas legislature, um, we're facing the, the largest, most costliest storm in the history of the United States. There's going to be um, substantial uh, financial ramifications for our state that we will have to address. And the grassroots conservatives in the legislature, I know, are ready for the task, ready to meet that challenge, and ready to lead us going forward. Does it, does it change the terrain of what I'm going to call, for lack of a better term, you know, kind of the, the focus on small government? And you know, we've talked a lot about disappointment with government performance, and yet so far the reviews have been pretty good. I mean, I suspect that's probably one of the few times you've said, hey, local government, state government, federal yeah. government, everybody did well, you know pretty what? well. They're right. all doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and I was going to say, there's a distinction yeah. between limited government and small government. That's right. You know, when you go out, uh, when you go out camping, 
and it's really cold outside, you don't want a small fire, but you want a limited fire, right? Because when it's contained in its proper sphere, it can be warm, it can give you uh, warmth, it can help you out, but when it gets outside, it can be destructive. And so I think what Representative Leach was saying is that these local, state, and federal governments are acting within the scope of their jurisdiction, and they're limited to what they're doing. They're doing well. I think it's also interesting to note that they said over 80% of the relief efforts have come from faith-based groups outside, and not even FEMA or those groups. So we're kind of seeing how that plays a role as well. And so um, I, I think uh, I, I think that's what we're seeing. And this uh, economic uh, hurt from Harvey is actually going to come on the heels of what was already going to be a very painful budget session, yeah. even more than what this one was. And so that will definitely take uh, a hit. Uh, Homero Lucero and I work a lot on tourism issues, and just the damage alone to that industry uh, is going to be catastrophic. You think about all the schools that were displaced. You think about the inmates that had to be relocated from one jail to another, the nursing homes, and all of the finances and all the, everything that that takes. It will definitely have an impact. But uh, as Jeff said, sometimes a disaster brings out your better angels, and we've mm -hmm. seen that all across the board, and I think uh, we're going to continue that well, to solve our problems. And I'll just add, I mean, and the number, and we should point out the number of people from outside of the state of Texas, volunteer groups and volunteers that have come to help as well. I was just sitting at a pizza place in Dripping Springs and there was all these firefighters from Ventura that had stopped off and they were yeah. just getting their food on the way out after spending a week down in Houston driving back to California. And, you know, that's been a remarkable. I think what we, what I've heard from people in the sort of national scene in DC from my friends and experience on the Hill is kind of just sort of an awe at the way that Texans have responded to it at a local level and in terms of the reaction by people, communities, neighbors, people stepping up, our friends in Louisiana coming across the, the uh, Cajun, Cajun Navy, right. you know, and, and how wonderful that's been. But also, gosh, isn't it nice that you guys had, you know, over $10 billion in a rainy day fund and you guys were in a fiscal position to sort of be able to manage that. Is there, are there imperfections with infrastructure? Are there things that we need to do to improve so that we're better prepared in the future? Of course, we've got a city of X million people sitting right on the coast. Yeah, we got to learn from this and figure out how to, you know, be even better between the local and the state. But I mean, that's important. You cannot overstate the extent to which that is a model for the country. And as we move forward in terms of engaging with Washington and getting the appropriate federal dollars for urgent emergency relief, but not letting it be just a dollar suck that goes into a hole and you know, looking through it conservatively, not only that as a political way, conservatively, how are you going to use those dollars? Just like a family would making tough decisions and figuring out how to manage it. Texas is a model right now. It's an opportunity. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, and, and using the dollars right, this is going to be a decade to, um, yeah. to get this um, fixed. But, you know, that means infrastructure. That means there's a change in schools. There's a change in all sorts of things, which us in the legislature, we could use these things to make some of the big decisions that we've not been able to do because we're forced it's right in front of our face. We have to do something. And we could use it for the positive. We could use it for the better. What a great opportunity to get our infrastructure and certainly our public schools uh, make some changes there because of the effect of the storm and the, uh, the hurricane and the displacement and the schools that are not even, that are completely ruined. I mean, there is so much devastation that has to be, um, you know, fixed but we can use that as a positive to be able to do a better job and also maybe change some of the legislation uh, that we've been you know, kicking down the road for so long. And, and we one have found one thing that all 181 legislators can agree we should use the rainy day fund yes. on. So I think that won't be an issue. And we said that in session, you know, that's publicly right. in session, we said that's what it would be used for without knowing about the storm, obviously. And I would just add that one of the things that came out of Katrina were some of the dollars that would flow to give parents choice to send their kids to a school 
because the schools were devastated. And they had, it's like, where's my child going to be educated? And so there were some dollars that would flow with the child and allow them to go to private schools or get them to a place to another public school or a charter school in some other part of Louisiana, to Mississippi, some to Texas. And that's one of the things we can look at here in terms of the devastation. Can we have some dollars that actually flow with the child so they can get the education of their choice for their, for their parents? I think with that, I'm going to open it up for questions. We have about 12 minutes. Please use the microphones, and I'll echo what my good friend Evan said at the last, at the last session. Please, no speeches, just questions, if at all possible. Let's start over here, sir. Thank you. My name's Hasib Abdullah. I'm a resident here in Austin. Uh, the comptroller, Glenn Hager, said he wanted to create the Rainy Day Fund and make it into, an, into, a, uh, into a type of endowment to increase its revenues and stuff, because right now it's just sitting there like a bank account. How come something that would have increased it, you know, many folds or several billion dollars, how come that hasn't done, been done several years ago and why didn't it get done this session? Thank you. Be a little more aggressive with the rainy day from the ESF. Yeah, to me, that's one of the biggest discussions we can have over the next uh, 16, 17 months. What's the rainy day fund for? What it should be used for? Apart from the Harveys, how should we be able to do that? Um, and our, our colleague, uh, Giovanni Capriglione, has actually done a lot of good work on how to invest that, how, how can we grow that. So I agree. We need to do something other than just have it stay there. Uh, the comptroller has given us a good roadmap, and so now I think we need to have very robust hard discussions on what we're going to do and coming to 2019 with a renewed sense of what that fund is for, the Economic Stabilization Fund, and what it's going to be used for going forward. And I would only add, with, within the constraints of the mindset that the purpose of the Rainy Day Fund isn't necessarily to build up massive assets for the state from right. taxpayers, right. and I think, I think there'd be agreement here on that, but if you're going to have some dollars that are sitting there, they should be managed well, and no, there's no dis disagreement on that. It's right. mm -hmm. a great question. Thank you. Okay. Ma'am. Uh, yes, uh, the four of you agreed. You had uh, four priorities, or, the, or that you hear from your grassroots: at uh, lower taxes, healthcare, education, and immigration. I didn't hear a bathroom bill. Do you feel like the bathroom bill was a distraction during this last legislation session, legislative session? We almost got through the panel without saying the word <laughs> bathroom bill. That's a good, very good question, though. I'll just say for my part up in Fort Worth ISD uh, where this issue kind of was the flashpoint for it, they did not think it was a distraction. They thought it was a legitimate real issue. You had parents in Dripping Springs and Capel ISD and other places. I'm starting to hear from parents in San Antonio ISD with some of the things that they're debating. Um, it, it, if you're in one of those communities that one of these policies might be implemented where you think uh, some harm could come to your child, it's not a distraction, it's a real issue. Uh, I still think we should have uh, tackled it and taken care of it, but um, I, I didn't think it was a distraction. No, I don't think no. it was a distraction either. Um, I do think there was a lot of misinformation about the bill, and, and I, don't, I don't know whose responsibility that is, but the reality is we, we feel strongly about protecting the, the safety and privacy of, of women and children in intimate facilities across the state. Um, and that's the conversation we, we wanted to have. We weren't able to do that on the floor of the Texas House, but it's my hope that going into next session we're, we're still able to continue the conversation. But not necessarily at the expense, ma'am, of all those other issues that, that you or that we've discussed today. We can have a debate about, we have 140 days to do the business of the people of the state. And um, we spent the first 35 of those days largely doing nothing. And so had we been, had we operated the calendar uh, more efficiently and effectively, we could have had these debates without it all being pushed to the end. Thank you for your question, though. Yeah. I'm going to go to another question so we can get as many people in. Ma'am. Thanks. 
the primary reason that you and your allies gave for the bathroom bill was the safety of women. How do you justify prioritizing the bathroom bill over the real harm done to women by the 19,000 untested rape kits in our state and the nearly 80,000 child minors in sex trafficking? So, so, um, so was there room for that too? There was room. Yeah. It's a great question, and um, I, I believe that all three of us on this stage voted for Representative Niave's bill that will ensure that there is funding to test all of those untested Right, but what kids. other crimes do we beg for money from the public to prosecute? So, uh, with, with look, this is a problem. Ma'am, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm totally agreeing with you, and we're glad that we were finally able to have that debate on the House floor this session, um, and, and the three of us supported it and voted for that. And um, also, um, we led the charge on campus sexual assault issues as well, a bipartisan issue. You saw grassroots conservatives leading the charge on that. So um, your, your point is well taken, and I'm, I'm glad of the, of the victory that we achieved this session on that issue. Thank you. I want to follow up on that a little bit. I mean, is it, isn't it fair to think that there's a lot more work to be done on that issue of the rape kits? Sure. Yeah, well, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but you've got to remember, we need... Uh, we need champions to bring that information and bring a proper bill so that we can be voting for that. I mean, that's what it takes. I mean, there's a lot of great ideas, but we need champions and we need grassroots and we need, um, um, you know, people to help get a proper bill and uh, to bring to the floor because that nothing happens without a bill. And, and I'll say that's one of the concerns that you always have with the legislature. Oh, we did uh, open carry last time. We're done with the Second Amendment. Oh, we did SB4 this time. We're done with immigration. Oh, we did uh, Representative Niave's bill, so we're done with that issue. No, that's something we have to keep working at. There's hardly anything in the legislature that you get take care of once and for all. So I think we're all committed to continuing that work that we started this session uh, when coming next session. You've got a commitment over here. Uh, yeah, just sort of as a larger, you know, not necessarily dealing directly with the, the bathroom bill, but the larger idea of, um, of social liberty. Uh, as, as members of the Liberty Caucus, are there any issues that you try to champion with regard to social liberty, or is this liberty simply just economic liberty? Well, they call us social conservatives, so I mean, it seems like that's what we deal with the whole time is social issues. It seems like. I'm not saying that we do. Um, just like the bathroom bill, just so you know, that it never got through committee, so it never really came to the floor, except right at the end uh, with uh, Representative um, Patty's bill. So we really didn't spend much time on it. Uh, there was a lot of energy around that bill, and of course the Senate spent time and passed it right away, but uh, for us in the House, we spent very little time on that bill. Well, and, and I would say, you know, like civil asset forfeiture, I think, is very yeah. much a, a liberty issue. And uh, I, I think we're all committed to working on that and making sure the government doesn't intrude on that space. Uh, I've done a lot of studying on liberty as well. And you go back to the founding fathers concept and there was there was an ordered liberty to it. And so it's not sometimes I think we talk about social liberty. Is it just a free for all or where are the limits? Does government have any role in it? I, I think there is. Uh, you look at the founding fathers and the precedent they set. There was an order to that. And so uh, I think we're committed to that ordered liberty, sometimes that's uh, in, in the social construct. It, it works itself out in different ways. But I think uh, depending on the issue, uh, we, we might be for or against what you're saying, but I think we're committed to uh, the liberties that uh, God has given you and making sure the government doesn't yeah. intrude on those. I'll just throw 15 seconds yeah, so we get more please. questions. I would just add that liberty as a general uh, concept is something that I think drives this group. It's certainly fundamental to the Texas Public Policy Foundation, but the grassroots generally to that end. 
things like local liberty and being concerned about, obviously, the issue. There was a big flashpoint on Uber, right, and, and the uh, uh, Airbnb, these kinds of things. These are, you, you know, you can have reasonable debates about that, about whether or not the locals should be able to do it or the state. Central to the debate was the liberty of the ability of companies to be able to set up and have this competition and have a market work. Discussion about trees, right? Being for trees, is there a property value in what you have when you have a tree? Can you have an offset plant? planting a different tree if you're going to, or a, a size differential. All of these things matter in terms of liberty, in terms of how you live and your ability to uh, live with your families according to your own conscience. So. Good question. Thank Ma'am. Hi, I just want to say I absolutely agree. I think the grassroots is really concerned about property taxes. I live in Tarrant County and we have some of the most crushing property taxes in the state. Um, that being said, uh, for instance, in Fort Worth ISD, which I know you know a lot about, Representative Krauss, uh, in 2011, the state paid 60% of our school f uh, bills and the taxpayers paid 40%, and now that number has switched. Now the taxpayers are paying 60% of our bills. So I just want to know, I don't have time to nitpick about the budget with you, but from the outside looking in, it looks like we're not prioritizing properly funding our schools. And if we're going to properly fund our schools from the state level, how are we going to lower our property taxes? What about the... Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And, and, and I'll tell you this, uh, when we were talking about property tax relief, uh, it was more reform than relief during the special session. It was basically on counties and governments, which we all agree that 70% of your tax burden comes from your local ISD. So we're just nibbling around at the edges. I think two things have happened on your question. Uh, one is we've diverted funds that were supposed to go to education and to other places. And we've, there's been a real big push for truth and uh, budgeting and uh, transparency the last couple of sessions. I think we need to carry that forward into the education system as well. If we don't want to be spending all that money education, let's make a purposeful decision to put it somewhere else and not just divert it. The other thing is your, your local appraisals have gone up at an, an incredibly fast rate. And so when your appraisals go up, that means that the local ISD is getting more money from that local government than they need from the state government. And so the state government has looked at that and they said, oh wait, you're getting so much more revenue in this place from your local governments now, we probably don't need to help you out as much. So I think that's where we've seen that imbalance start to shift, which I'm not so sure is necessarily a bad thing, but if we're diverting funds that should be going to education, to me that is a bad thing and something we should be looking yeah, at. Yeah, and, and if and I could just echo that, I, I do not believe, believe strongly, you cannot have a legitimate property tax discussion without talking about school finance. Yes. And so, but the school finance discussion is not and cannot just be about how can we spend more money on schools. Do we need to spend more money on schools? Possibly. But we also need to look collectively and very deliberately at how that money is being spent. Is it getting to the classroom where it does the most good all across this state? And so this special session, we passed in bipartisan fashion the School Finance Commission, which will look at that issue, take a deep dive, not just a surface level approach, but a deep dive on school finance. We're still using a cost education index, index that is nearly 30 years old. We're basing our numbers and our calculations today and how much we're spending on education on data that's 30 years old. And so we've got to update that. We've got to look at that. Going into next session, I think you've got three big issues. Hurricane Harvey, Harvey and our response, property taxes, and school finance reform. And I'll just add 30 seconds to that on that point. There's a lot of things we can do to improve the way the dollars are spent. If you look at 2016, you had $65 billion spent on K through 12, 28 billion went to instruction. That's the TEA's numbers. 12,000 per kid, 5,000 goes to instruction. If you look at how much we have in terms of staff, we have 688,000 staff, 347,000 of those are teachers. And that's when we're talking about how much a high school, Texas spends $324,000 per high school class, 50,000 is for the average high school teacher salary. 
So we think about how those dollars are being spent. There's a lot of room for improvement there to make sure that teachers are getting paid and that we can improve the education system. We talk about education freedom. That's great. Yeah. Okay, quick one. We have yeah. time for one more. It's got to be very fast, though. Very fast question. So we do property tax reform. There's lots of parts of it. What you have not discussed in this session was school finance reform, MUD reform, and PID reforms. Mm -hmm. Because MUD and PIDs are a substantial part of the tax bill, too. Are you going to tackle property tax reform in one bill, finally, instead of trying to piece part it through the processes each, each session? I'd like to say yes, <laughs> but knowing the legislature, probably not. Um, I want to. Yeah, that's right. It would be wonderful. But you're right. PIDs, uh, PUDs, MUDs, all those things, you're exactly right. Those are taxing entities we don't usually think about that have a great impact on Yeah, that really is kind of an under-tilled field right. and all this. Yep. It's really important. Yep. And I think that's another issue that I suspect is also going to be one of those things that gets revisited in the wake of Harvey. I think, I think that's you're right. right. That's right. Especially yep. in Harris County where most of those exactly. reside. Well, I think with that, so that we can get out of here on time, Thank our panelists for a great panel. Thank you. Thank you. Good questions. Again, thank you all. Enjoy the rest of the Texas Tribune Festival. Thank you, John. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, John.